This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Offscript Podcast. A story which made global headlines. The sad story of the last ever surviving member of his tribe. And he made headlines as the quote-unquote world's loneliest man. He was found dead in the Amazon rainforest, his body covered in bright macaw feathers. Um, and we had the opportunity, or at least I had the opportunity, to chat to Survival International's Jonathan Mazawa, who is a gentleman who's been working tirelessly to uphold the rights of indigenous peoples with survival since 1988, uh, which is an amazing tenure. His initial focus was on tribal peoples in North and South America. He's visited many indigenous communities in this region. He's currently responsible for promoting all of survival's campaigns through the media. So he was a very busy man last week, and we thank him very much for his time. Time because, of course, he was in much demand last week to talk about this man who was nicknamed the loneliest man in the world. He was also known as the man of the hole, and he was found dead on August the 23rd after surviving alone in the forest for 26 years. Incredible. Okay. Now, he was called the man of the hole thanks to his fondness for digging deep holes in the, the Amazonian jungle where he would apparently trap prey and hide from his own predators, which include other people, incidentally. Um, but the loneliest man tag is, is the one that was more fitting uh, because he spent half his life entirely alone with all of his friends and family dead while doing his utmost to avoid their fate and remain invisible in the rainforest. Anyone who came too close to him could find themselves facing the end of his poison-tipped arrow, or he would simply flee. He would disappear into the, that impenetrable foliage, um, which was, of course, indicative of where he lived in the western um, Amazonian rainforest. Nobody even knew the name of the man or the language he spoke. And we're going to find out a little bit more about him. Um, he was thought to be about 60 when he died. And it's a sad story, but it's also an amazing testament to the resilience Absolutely. and the fortitude yeah. of humanity. Absolutely. Um, as I said, it takes place in western, the, re the western region of Brazil's Amazon, uh, where in the last 50 years, there's just been a relentless invasion of a habitat that was once unspoilt and untouched. The construction of roads allowed people to go in and clear areas of the forest for cattle, and the inevitable conflict between the invaders and the indigenous peoples led to mass slaughter. Um, now, I caught up with Jonathan Mazawa, who is, of course, with Survival International, and I asked if he could elaborate on the tale of the world's loneliest man. And this is what he had to say. As the area was being cleared, the cattle ranchers who were clearing the forest and, and, uh, and buying up the land knew that there were indigenous people there and didn't want them there. And they uh, paid uh, guys to go in and shoot them. And... It was in a, a chance encounter, really, that this guy was spotted in a in a uh, an area of rainforest that still stood, and he made it very, very clear that he didn't want to have anyone come anywhere near him. Uh, so government teams then tried to make kind of contact with him by leaving pots and pans and machetes and other useful things in the forest, but he never accepted them and always. Um, rejected their their kind of attempts to contact him, at which point they decided to just uh, protect the area and leave, and leave him alone. 
but there were some very dedicated government uh, employees in that area who decided to try and find out what had happened and they did eventually piece the story together or they heard rumors uh, uh, that people had been uh, talking in bars about killing indigenous people and they went into the forest and they actually found one of the sites of one of these massacres where the uh, an indigenous community, all their houses had been bulldozed. And so it, it became clear what had happened, which was that all, all the members of this tribe bar this man had been killed. And we have no idea how many people they once were or what the name of their tribe was or what language they spoke because we had no communication with them before they were killed and no communication with this man who was the only survivor. And and because he survived, it, it, it's because he survived that we know basically what happened. In other words, we'd never even have known of the existence of that particular tribe if he hadn't survived. And during the remainder of his life, government teams patrolled the area and were mostly successful at keeping the cattle ranchers out. It just goes to show how lawless Mm. that area is, that there are individuals out there who would think nothing of paying hired killers to come in and and clear the the area. In the wake of uh, this man's death, there is now a campaign to protect the area from future development as a mark of respect to him and the tribe that was lost in this genocide. But, of course, Jair Bolsonaro's policies are very pro-deforestation. Mm. This is not a man that wants to preserve the Brazilian rainforest. And, and, and that's certainly not the way for the indigenous people. Exactly, that's what they're up against. It's a really sad story, really, because, you know, it seems like it's a hopeless plight that they're in. It just feels like the world is now not big enough to accommodate the the kind of demands of industrialized modern society and and yet, and yet the kind of the, the way of life of people who have, have kind of shunned that that way of things and um i did remark to jonathan that we find it very difficult to resist the urge to interfere whether or not our intentions are well meaning or not i just to leave alone it's the same with with the natural world as well there's a there's there's a desire to interfere yeah there's a need to know yeah, yeah. study, to be curious. Yeah. And some people have, have malevolent intentions, some people have well-meaning ones. But how can we learn to respect indigenous peoples and their desire to live a life apart from modern society? And Jonathan had this to say. He and his people were not unique in the sense that there are actually dozens and dozens of uncontacted tribes whose existence we know about uh, not only in the Amazon, actually, but in other parts of the world too, where th- they could suffer the same fate if their lands are not protected. And th- this this is happening at the moment in other parts of Brazil. That it, if not massacres, at least uh, killings are happening regularly um, where people are basically hungry for the land and don't want the people there. And, you know, this is a really important issue because so few people know about it. Um, As to your other point about the sort of how we in the West see peoples like this and also the sort of natural world, of course, for indigenous people, there is no distinction made between humans and other parts of the natural world. They see themselves as inherently part of it and not separate from it. 
whereas Western society, of course, sees humankind and nature as two separate things. And it's it, in seeing them as separate, of course, it allows, as you say, the commodification of one and the sort of separation. Uh, and that is behind one of, of the other kind of key issues that affects indigenous people, which is the creation of national parks and game reserves and other protected areas on their lands um, because these are just seen as wildernesses that need to be protected rather than as human uh, landscapes which have always had people in and have been moulded and created and managed by people and are incredibly rich in plant and animal life because of the people who live in them, not in spite of it. And so, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of millions of indigenous people either have or face the prospect of being evicted from their lands to turn them into conservation areas, perversely. That is actually a, a really crucial issue affecting indigenous peoples as well. I hadn't even thought of it like that, but in a weird way, our, 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 our desire to protect the environment is actually stopping people who are so immersed in it and live in it and respect it from yeah. actually conducting their lives. Yeah. You know, when I went trekking in Nepal, you walk through these villages where, you know, you're, you're in a mountainous area where it's difficult to access. They use donkeys to get everything up and down. You could, there's no roads that go in and out, but these villagers, they, they live harmoniously within the environment. They and they, they obviously have great respect for the environment as well. But in the West, there's been this kind of segregation where we know that if, uh, if these parks are not maintained and protected, they'll simply be developed mm. upon. Yeah, that's it. It's, no, it's, it's, uh, it's sad for a lot of ways. I mean, we, we touched on Amazonian tribes before, and the fact is that with each passing year, they're becoming, the numbers are dwindling. In this case, I mean, you're absolutely right to say this went viral last week, the world's loneliest man. It's sensationalist, that headline, but the fact that he managed to thrive, survive and thrive for 26 years on his own, and then, of course... His, uh, his body was stumbled upon last week and that's why you're talking to Jonathan now but it is fascinating it really is a real interesting exploration into you know wh what the current state is and you know this is a problem that ain't going away anywhere no it's getting worse and I, I did uh, I actually said to Joe I was trying, trying to find out more about how these tribes live and um, I kind of made the sort of very rudimentary guess that they, they've kind of been frozen in time. They live in much the same way that our hunter-gatherer ancestors did before the agricultural revolution. And as it turns out, I could not have been more wrong about that. It's a very uh, common misconception that people who live as hunter-gatherers uh, must live more or less as our ancestors did. But in fact, uh, the the opposite is true, uh, and that uh, even though people may live by hunting and gathering, they uh, almost certainly don't live anything like either their ancestors or our, our ancestors did. And um, human societies are evolving all the time, whether they're hunter-gatherers or industrialized society we see it more clearly in our own societies uh, but the same is exactly true of 
hunter-gatherers and take the example actually of many uncontacted tribes in the Amazon, these are often hunter-gatherer peoples who several hundred years ago probably weren't hunter-gatherers at all, but lived in settled communities, mostly from agriculture. Their ancestors were almost wiped out by uh, colonization of their lands, and it's the survivors who fled into the more remote parts of the rainforest, very often up in the headwaters of rivers where land is less suited to agriculture, and they have gradually developed a completely different way of life. If that's the case, actually, if you look at more or less any society on earth, if you can find evidence of how they lived before, there is almost always uh, evidence of gradual evolution or even very quick evolution. So we shouldn't think that these people lived as our ancestors did. Yeah. I suppose what they may have in common with that is the fact that they are very self-sufficient and that they live very well from their land. I do find it amazing just to think that these tribes still exist. Yes, in 2022. On this planet, hundreds of them, by yeah, the way. Yeah, of course. And many of which are uncon- uncontacted. Obviously in South America, tribes in Papua-, Papua New Guinea as well. Lots of different tribes in Africa. Um, They're able to keep themselves yeah, I say hidden. Hidden's not the right word, but yeah, detached. Just detached, yeah. exactly, from um, the kind of the corruptive forces. I, I admire it in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I'm envious in, in some ways. Obviously, I enjoy the trappings of the life that I lead, but equally, you know, to be in their shoes for a week to, to sample it, obviously, they're, they're highly skilled hunters. I know we've done a piece previously, Sono did. I mean, they, they've got to be very mindful about coming in contact with people from the outside because of diseases, etc. They've built up a tolerance that is very different from you and I. But, yeah, to, to see them out there in, in their own habitat would be, yeah. I and mean, if I had to guess, because they often say that um, there was this piece done, sort of a documentary on the happiest the happiest place or the happiest village on the, on the planet, and it was in Vanuatu. And uh, it was a kind of, um, it depicted, yeah, no, well, it depicted the kind of very simple yet very fulfilling and joyful life that these villages led. And um, I would, I would guess, although I have no scientific evidence or data to back this up, but my guess would be there are far less instances of depression and genuine feelings of unhappiness among these indigenous tribes than there are in modern and, and the industrialized society. The, the insinuation there being what? There's no trappings of the, the same, what is it, the seven deadly sins, envy, jealousy and all, all of Perhaps that Perhaps not, no. And, and also, you know, think unnatural influences on our mm. lives that affect our mental Fair. well-being as well. And, and uh, Jonathan's been really kind of educating us on the way these people live and also how they've adapted to the modern world around them as well. And he did tell me that they're not above adapting to the conveniences of modern technology with this little story. When I was in Botswana with Bushman peoples, the indigenous people of the Kalahari region, watching one young Bushman man going off to hunt and he had uh, he was riding a donkey which was in itself a relatively recent thing that they'd acquired <clears throat> he saw no distinction between going off to hunt riding a donkey with his bow and arrow over his shoulder and also having a bluetooth headset on so that he could do hands-free speaking <laughs> on his cell phone while he was um, riding across the desert looking for game to hunt for food so indigenous people are often very successful at 
adapting to the outside world. Um, but the crucial thing is they can only do that in the kind of way they choose, in the manner and the pace of their own choosing, if their lands are protected and secure. Because if they're not, then what happens is, you know, they just get swept aside, basically, and usually end up at the bottom rungs of the kind of industrial society's ladder. You know, take take the case of uh, India, for example, which has tens of millions of indigenous people. Those who have still retained their land live very well and very healthily and are self-sufficient and, and, and fine, basically, and thriving. Whereas those who have had their lands taken actually often perversely for um, conservation to be turned into tiger reserves, which is a very big thing in India, those people often end up basically living in urban slums, you know, impoverished and uh, on, on the lowest rung of the ladder. So indigenous people are very well able to adapt to outside society to take what they find useful, um, to be um, thriving members of national society, as long as their lands are secure. Right. That's the crucial thing. Now, Jonathan has been with Survival International since 1988. Um, it was founded over half a century ago in 1969. And, and broadly speaking, um, the plight of indigenous peoples was far more susceptible to violence and genocidal onslaughts back in the 60s and 70s when the Brazilian sort of wave of, of ranchers and, and kind of very lawless people were heading out to kind of make hay and yeah. make money in that part of, of Brazil. Now it's land encroachment that's the real issue. And of course, there, there's still instances of violence and there's still killings that go on, but land encroachment has become the major issue. And, and uh, I, I guess bottom line, I wanted to ask Jonathan whether he's optimistic for the future and has the outlook improved for the Amazon tribes that he's spent so long studying? Yes, I would say I am optimistic for the future, and I think we survival are generally, because even though I think recent sort of um, world affairs, current affairs have given the lie to the idea that his, uh, history moves in a steady sort of forward progressive march, if you like, um, but nevertheless, there is a much greater awareness amongst the international, the global public, not only that such peoples exist, but also that they have a right to exist and they have a right to live in peace in the way that they choose. And I think that awareness and that movement is growing and Survival International has obviously played its part in that, but so have indigenous people themselves who have really stood up for themselves and uh, protested and resisted and so on. So I would say that I am optimistic. I think that this movement is growing. Uh, it, it certainly got an uphill battle because the forces ranged against the indigenous people are very, very powerful, increasingly so in a sense. Mm. But I think that the, 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 the era which, if you like, this man who we started off talking about represented, where there were kind of large-scale massacres of indigenous people and no, nobody even knew about it. I think those days are over. 
So that indeed, if that is the legacy of the loneliest man on the planet, that is indeed a positive piece of news to take out of all of this. And, and if you want to find out more about Survival International and the incredible work that they do, please do head to survivalinternational.org and you can find out what they're up to. You can find out how to support them as well. Jonathan does go on to say that the organisation, because it is not government funded, it does not want to be at the behest of anyone. It doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't want to be uh, enthralled to, to any government entity. Um, it has no power or influence to make changes without the support of the international public. So massive thank you to Jonathan Mazawa from Survival International for joining us um, during a busy week for him. And the great work continues over at that organisation. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 